the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead has so many wonderful implications for our life. But I'd like for us to consider one to start off with, and that is this one implication of the resurrection of Jesus is that Jesus himself is vindicated. Were all his claims and promises just the ravings of a liar and a lunatic? The resurrection says no. Jesus is vindicated. Did Jesus die as a damned man because of his own sin and therefore deserve to be cut off from the land of the living? The resurrection says no. Jesus is vindicated. Did Jesus bear the sins of others and with the words, it is finished, put sin and death to death? Well, it seems that God agreed. For the Spirit of God raised Christ from the dead. This is glorious news, my friends. This is marvelous news. This is gospel news, good news. For if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. But is this just good news for a future resurrection of our mortal bodies? Not according to Paul in Romans 8. Paul in Romans 8 says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, and that is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, you see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ also has triumphant significance for us today because it is an invitation to you and to me to live today in that resurrection power and be led today by God's Spirit as his obedient children. If you are here today and you're a skeptic, I wanna talk to you for just a moment. If you're not sure what you think about Jesus, I will say this to you. If Jesus did rise from the grave, he was once dead and now he's alive, then you have to, you must accept all that he said. If he did not rise from the dead, then why worry about anything he said? As one preacher put it, the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. People don't do that every day, you know that? And when they do, the whole world takes note. In sin, you are dead. You are dead. And this concept, this concept is very heavy on the writer of Ephesians' mind. We're gonna move to Ephesians 2, chapter one through 10, as was read by Gloria this morning. And we're gonna look at three points today. Number one, you were dead in sin. Number two, but God by grace. And number three, recreated you for good works. You were dead in sin, but God by grace recreated you 
for good works. So let's begin with you were dead in sin. It is so important for us to begin here because only if we begin to see how bad our situation is or was without Jesus, only then does the good news of what God has done in Christ become more glorious to us, more of a treasure to us. And we want to treasure the gospel, right? This is true whether you are just exploring Christ for the first time or you've been in the faith for decades. In sin, you are dead. And to be dead was to be cut off. To be dead was to be separated from the covenant or the relationship with God and all of his promises. To be outside of his peace and outside of God's blessing. See, we, you and I, we tend to think of, or we tend to fall into the thinking that sin is more like a stain on my favorite shirt. It's a stain on my favorite shirt and I need to wash it out. Wash out that stain from my favorite shirt and then I'll have my favorite shirt back, right? But sin does not create just a blotch on the surface. No, it infects the whole system. The roots of sin trace all the way back to a garden, the Bible tells us. Created to display God's glory on the earth and to co-labor with him, in dominion over his creation, humankind was given a purpose. We were given a holy vocation, a work, something to do. But the Bible tells us that a deceiver, Satan, the devil, the ancient serpent, uh, tempted our first parents, Adam and Eve, to disobey God's command, to live according to their own wisdom and do what was right in their own eyes instead of faithfully trusting their life and their well-being to the goodness of their God creator. And with their choice to disobey their God and creator, sin entered the world, the Bible tells us. And with sin came death. But not just death of the body. We all have experienced death in our families and death around us, yes? Death in the news. But the, the death that entered through sin was not just in the body, but also a spiritual death. And that death was separation from, came with separation from the fountain of life, from our creator God. Ephesians 2 helps us to see that to this very day, that same deceiver is at work. He's at work and that we all at some point in time, every one of us in this room were his disciples. We were following his way. Disobedience binds us over to him, the Bible says. Like dogs on a chain, we were being led here or there. We were gratifying the flesh and following its thoughts and its desires. Both choosing sin for ourselves and at the same time being constantly led to sin by the treacherous slave master, Satan. And what does this disobedience deserve according to Ephesians? Wrath, judgment, and death. And the Bible tells us we were all there, so none of us get escaped. No one gets to say it's them over there. We were all there at one time, and some of you are there right now. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it's important to remember that this is more than just 
the breaking of a law or the breaking of a code. Pastor Tim Keller says it this way, sin is not primarily the breaking of a code, but the breaking of a heart. Why? Because we were made for communion with God. We were made to co-labor with him. He created us for that purpose and for his good pleasure out of his love and sin breaks relationship. But God, by grace, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You see the bad we look at the bad, you, you were dead in your sins and transgressions, you were cut off from the living God, you were separated from God and from the fount of every blessing, you were a son or daughter of disobedience, a child of wrath, a disciple of Satan, a dog on a chain, a debased animal of nothing more than carnal desire and fleshly cravings under the wrath and judgment. I know that's heavy. I know it's heavy. No hope. No light. No future. No peace. A pitiable, disfigured, contemptible form of the glorious creature that you were created to be. Ephesians tells us, but God. But God who is wealthy, wealthy with mercy, rich in mercy. But God, there's a song that we sing that has this lyric. Maybe some of you remember it. It says something like this. There's no sound louder than a captive set free. There's no sound louder than a captive. Who's a captive who's been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ? Is there any sound louder than that captive today? No. Our hearts burst in joy. We reflect and remember. Over and over again, we're filled with that truth. There are three things in verse four through verse seven that Paul lays out, and he says this. He says, we're made alive with Christ, we're raised up with him, and we're seated with him in the heavenly realms. These are yours, beloved. These are yours. As a result of his death and resurrection, these are the implications that they have on our life today. Not a future, today. Made alive, raised with Christ, seated in the heavenly realms. In his death, he suffered for sin and remove the barrier to fellowship with God that sin had caused. And by his resurrection, he showed his triumph over death, and both physical and spiritual. In other words, you vicariously receive all of the benefits that Christ's faithfulness has merited. You receive them all, they're yours. They're yours. 
Sins separating power overcome. Fellowship with God restored. Death defeated. C.S. Lewis once said that on the back of Satan's neck is a nail-scarred footprint. Christ was faithful to God for you. Christ was crucified for you. Christ was resurrected for you. Christ is seated in the heavenly realms in that place of ultimate fellowship with God in order to bring you in the train of his robe into the heavenly places to be seated with him in fellowship with God. If you are in Christ, all of that is yours as well. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. These verses right there really highlight the central message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is that salvation is a gift from God that is received by faith alone. Salvation is not something that, you, that can be earned or achieved by your own good works or effort. The phrase, by grace, it is by grace you have been saved, means that our salvation is entirely undeserved and unearned. Remember, the, the, the scripture said, while you were still in your transgressions, he did all this. He made you alive. It is a gift that God has freely given to us, not because of anything we have done or could do, but simply because he is rich in love and rich in mercy. And the phrase, by grace you have been saved through faith, means that we receive this gift of salvation by putting our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. This faith is not a work or effort on our part, but is simply a response to God's gracious pardon to us, a humble acknowledgement of our need for a Savior and a willingness to trust in Jesus alone for our salvation. I'll say that one more time. It's not a work or effort on our part, but it's simply a response to God's gracious pardon did you know that in, even in the state of California and most states, that if a governor comes to a criminal, let's say someone on death row and pardons them, that the pardon must be received? If the pardon is rejected, it's null. The pardon is given, but it must be received by faith. A humble acknowledgement of our need for a savior and a willingness to trust in Jesus alone for our salvation. This salvation is not merely a future hope either. The effects of it, we don't just wait to see till later. No, we get to live that resurrected life right now. A scholar by the name of N.T. Wright once wrote this. He said, the work of salvation in its full sense is one, about whole human beings, not just souls. It's about our whole human being our bodies, our souls, and what God is planning to do to restore it all, the whole human being. Number two, it's about the present, not simply the future. It's not just a future hope of glorification. There is power 
And there are benefits and promises available to us right now. There is a status change that is, that is ours right now in Christ. And number three, it's about what God does through us, not merely what God does in us or for us. Salvation's just not about me receiving this free gift and going, thanks God, and moving on with my life. It's about what God wants to do through each one of us as we walk with him. And that leads us to our third point. We are recreated. He recreated you for good works. You were dead in sin, but God by grace recreated you for good works. Verse 10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's the big idea with this verse. God's purpose, God's purpose is to have a people through whom he might generously work in this world. God's purpose is to have a people through whom he might generously work in this world. That's a part of the deal. Amen? Our resurrected life is lived out in Christ as we do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. We are not saved by our works. Ephesians just told us that. We're not saved by our works. But the evidence of our salvation is good works. We are not saved by good works, but the evidence of our salvation is good works. Dallas Willard said once, grace is not against effort. It is against earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace is not against effort. It's against earning. If you are in Christ, God has prepared good works for you to complete. And this is a restoring of the Eden ideal and God's original design for humanity, that we would be God's image bearers in this world, shining and reflecting God's glory through our work to every corner, dark or lit, of this globe. There is no trace whatsoever of the idea that you are saved to just wait till our glorification. There is no idea of that in the Bible. There are songs that we've sung throughout our life that seem to indicate that, but there's no idea of that in the Bible. We are saved for something else. We are to be an active force, moved by God's spirit, to do his good works that he has prepared for us to do. And this is a grace-backed effort. This isn't about conjuring up strength, making a list of all your ideas for what is good works. This is a grace-backed effort. His word is plentiful with good works. His word states, on many occasions, this is God's will for you but to accomplish them is a grace-backed effort. 
My friends, if you are a Christian this morning, we are on mission. I had a friend a while back who was a Marine. He enlisted in the Marines thinking it was going to be the adventure of his life. Maybe some of you were in the service and you thought the same thing. Maybe you had the adventure of your life. He got stationed somewhere and spent four years cleaning the barracks and then cleaning the barracks and then playing basketball and cleaning the barracks. We're on mission, my friends. We're not running useless drills. We're not cleaning the barracks over and over again to pass time. That's not what it's, we're on mission right now. It's go time. God has made us alive in Christ through his death and resurrection so that we both individually and as a fellowship can bring this good news, this gospel to life. That we can bring it to life, to every area of our life. To those who live nearest to us, to our neighbors, to our friends and to our family and to the very ends of the earth. In closing, I'll say this. Are you dead in sin this morning? Are you dead in sin? Are you living apart from the life of God in Christ? Jesus' death and resurrection is an invitation to you to experience real, true life. To break the power of sin and death in your life. I exhort you, I plead with you this morning, I plead with you, trust in Christ for this great salvation. Trust him this morning as both Lord and Savior. And to you, are you alive in Christ? Are you raised with him and seated with him in heavenly realms? Then my exhortation to you is then God has work for you to do. God has work for you to do. No retirement. Sorry. No retirement. No sitting and waiting it out till the clouds part and Jesus descends. No self-centered kingdom building allowed. We're on mission. We're on mission. We have a gospel. We have a gospel light that must be shown out into the world, my friends. Let your light shine. If you've been asleep on mission, wake up. This is the alarm sounding. Wake up. To both groups, if you are dead in sin and living apart from the life that God has for you, or if you are alive in Christ and raised with him, seated with him in the heavenly realms, Either way, there is a scripture for encouragement that I'll leave us with. It is out of Ephesians 5, and it simply says, wake up, sleeper. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you.